Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. Let's take just a moment and close our eyes and in our hearts and minds now, shutting out any other distraction, turn our eyes upon Jesus. He's here and he knows you're here. And he comes walking by you. Do you see him? He stops where you are and looks at you and you look up and see his face. You see him looking at you, loving you, loving you as much right now as he ever did, whether on the cross, dying for your sins. You see him looking at you, loving you, walking out of the grave alive. You meet him in the garden like Mary Magdalene and he looks at you and he says your name like he did to Mary. He knows you and he loves you. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows how much you really need him. That's why he's come to you. So Lord Jesus, as we look at you, We thank you for loving us. Thank you for a moment like this that can become for us a life-changing moment to realize just how much you care about us, how much you care about me. So I look into your face and see it written all over you. So Lord, take my lips right now and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills, our stubborn, self-centered, prive, I don't know, wills that are so into us and shape them so that we desire what you desire. Long for what you long for us. And then take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, having prayed that together, we are coming this morning to the close of our conversations about this opening prologue to John's biography of Jesus. And we've already been looking at this near-closing statement In verse 14 of John chapter 1, where it says that the Word became flesh, the Word that was in the beginning with God, that was God, that rationale, that designing intelligence, the Lord himself, who was in the beginning, became flesh, the incarnation, became one of us. So the God of all creation takes on humanity 
and looks like a part of his creation in order that he might come reach us. That's how much he loves us. So the word became flesh. When it says dwelt, literally means pitched his tent, tabernacled, sort of camped out with us for 33 years. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, the glory of the Lord. Glory, glory, hallelujah, his truth is marching on. That Jesus, in being here, demonstrated, showed off the glory of the Lord. And part of that glory was the fullness of truth that he represented and the fullness of grace, full of grace and truth. And that play Roma, for those of you who haven't been here, a word that describes the fullness of God in the person of Jesus. He was full of almighty God, full of grace, that amazing love, undeserved, unmerited, granted to us without favor on our part in trying to earn it as a gift. His amazing grace invested in Jesus and his truth. He is the truth. As he later said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. All personified in Jesus, the glory of the Lord in human flesh. Listen to these two descriptions of it. One from Paul writing to the Colossians, he said this. In chapter 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the image of the invisible God. He goes on to say, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So when you get to the letter to the Hebrews, it puts it this way, same way, chapter 1, right at the beginning. The Son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You can never, ever exaggerate Jesus. You can never think him too great, too powerful, too present. And he is the image of the invisible God and the radiance of his glory. And when we come to that word thereby, glory again, that we beheld his glory, John's gospel is the last gospel written of the four gospels. And it's a different kind of gospel. The others are historically linear. They follow through in a storyline. So that Matthew and Luke, for instance, start with the birth of Jesus. They both have early on the family tree, humanly speaking, of Jesus. So they start there, and the angels visiting and describing who Jesus is. And then the glory of the Lord shining around as it's declared to the shepherds. Mark's gospel starts with John the Baptist bursting onto the scene, 
and immediately headed right into the ministry of Jesus. So he doesn't deal with the birth narrative of Bethlehem and wise men and angels. He's right at it, straight into the ministry of Jesus. John is different. So when you come to John, you've got this historical narrative, in a sense, going all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning was the word, like the beginning of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very first words of the Bible. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He takes you historically, if you will, to the beginning of everything. And then he picks out one story or another, one drama or another, one piece of teaching or another, to point us to some great truth he wants to make manifest. So when you get to the end of John's Gospel, he says this, many other things Jesus did that are not recorded in this. John would have been aware of the other Gospels by then. They date John somewhere around about 90 AD. The, the scholars. The earliest Gospel, they figured to be Mark, and they put that somewhere in the middle 50s AD. So here's the old man John who was once a young fisherman that Jesus hooked, brought into his team, reflecting on a lifetime of spiritual growth, revelations from God like the book of Revelation, and he writes down his thoughts. And when he says, we beheld his glory, he's thinking about that. He's like he's into dwelling on that thought. He's had a lifetime of it. Wasn't just a glance, wasn't just a moment, a lifetime of dwelling on the very thought of who Jesus is. But I want to take you back to one of the dramatic teachings, in fact, from Mark's gospel, and John was there. It describes it. We're in Mark chapter 9, and listen to this, beginning at verse 2. It says, after six days... Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them, dramatically transformed. And what he describes is genuinely awesome. This is the glorification of Jesus with what we normally understand the word glory to mean, something spectacular and magnificent, his majesty, some kind of awesome splendor. Listen to this. He was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Moses, the great giver of the law, the first five books of the Bible, and Elijah, seen as the greatest of the prophets. So the law and the prophets. And here's Elijah and Moses alive, meeting with Jesus. And Peter, James, and John witnessing it. And Jesus 
absolutely glowing, iridescent. And as if that were not enough, it speaks of a cloud, verse 7, appearing and enveloping them. And a voice came from the cloud. There is in the Old Testament something called the Shekinah cloud of glory. And it's the presence of the Lord. When they built the tabernacle, which was their traveling worship center as they're going through the wilderness, by uh, instructions through Moses to the children of Israel, when they finished it and dedicated it, a cloud of glory came upon it. That Shekinah Hebrew word meaning a holy cloud of God's presence. And here on the mountain, Jesus, iridescent, glowing, with Moses and Elijah there, and the same cloud comes. And if that's not enough, the voice of God speaks. Listen to what he says. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. John was there. John beheld the glory of the Lord. He saw, reflected on, came to understand who Jesus was. The very God of very God, begotten not made, of the same substance as the Father. That's a theological phrase that comes right out of one of our creeds that we say month by month. Listen to what John says as he uh, talks about it in his epistle, 1 John chapter 1. Because he describes this. Listen to it. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard with our ears, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, and we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and has appeared to us. And what Peter says, because John and Peter were there, I just mentioned this in passing, it's just a, it's an important footnote. Andrew, the third person who was there and saw all this, didn't live long enough to write anything. When you read about the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament, they killed Stephen, you remember, stoned him. He was the first martyr. The second martyr was James, the brother of John. He was beheaded by Herod. He didn't get to write anything. He got to go to glory first, but Peter and John both wrote about it. Listen to what Peter said. We did not follow cleverly invented stories. This is first, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. We did not invent clever stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, 
whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So the first glorious expression of glory that we understand with the word glory if there is this resplendent majesty who Jesus is so unbelievably present as God in the flesh it couldn't stay covered and hidden when he shines through it was unforgettable to these men and they bore witness to him and they're telling us about it let me say this you can never, which I've already said in one way, exaggerate who Jesus is. You can never over-dramatize who he is. In fact, we are Christocentric, especially here at Christ Church, but any Orthodox Christian is Jesus-centered. It's not just God. It's not just some spirit of truth. It's not just some almighty being. As Jesus said when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. Now, he wasn't being narrow and bigoted. He was just telling the truth. God in the flesh, God taking the trouble to come in Jesus, dramatically present, exhibited, seen, handled, heard, followed by these first believers. Isn't it staggering that that first group of ordinary people became a worldwide movement? That's why we're here today. They spoke of what they saw and heard and experienced. And that's glory. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. The drama of it, the splendor of it, that's one idea about glory, but there is another. That's actually even weightier than what I've said, because in the, the Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament, the same word glory, which is always translated with another word in Greek in the New Testament, that word for glory in the Old Testament is kavod. That's the Hebrew. It looks like kabod, kabod in English, K-A-B-O-D. But the Jews would say, if they were saying that in their language, kavoth. And that root word of meaning is weightiness, significance. It's not just the glitz and the shining glory, which we've been describing. It's not just like all outward display. At the heart and center of it is a weighty, heavy, significance. Let me put it in these terms. When I first came to the USA, England being my home of birth, education, coming to faith, getting ordained, and that's another whole story I'd love to share with you, how God has moved in my life to bring me here so that I've become an American, one of you, with an American wife, four American daughters. They all spend American money it's an exceptional idea. When I first came here, some friends of mine described someone in a very, well, I didn't know what it meant. They said, he's a flake. 
Well, in England, we have a fabulous piece of chocolate made by Cadbury's called a flake. I said, what do you mean flake? They said, you know, like whitewash when it peels off the wall? Like dandruff. He's a lightweight, a flake. He's flaky. Well, I understood what they were saying about these guys, like he's a nobody, like even maybe a jerk. That's not who Jesus is. And then a few years on, the hippie movement came in, and I came in with it, with a band. And while you may find it, one of these days I'll have a picture put up on the screen of me in my band days with my band. But I joined the hippie movement. We were on the streets, we were on the beaches, we were at the universities playing with the band and talking about Jesus, which gave rise to a fabulous movement around here called CCO, or the Coalition for Christian Outreach. That all started in those days with the band. The students got converted. In fact, there was one man here at the earlier service came and introduced himself to me. He was one of the young guys in university when I came through with the band. He's gotten older like I have. <laughs> but back in those days, there was another lingo, another way of talking. So, hey man, what's happening? You know, all that, you know, it was this jargon. And I kind of fell into it. It sounds sort of corny when you've got an Englishman talking like that. But anyway, I learned another use of the word heavy. Not a lightweight flake. Something that they used to, even a way you'd say, you'd say, hey man, that's heavy. <laughs> I mean, I got in conversation with a student who'd heard our performance. He'd heard me talking about the need for Jesus. And this guy was, we looked radical, but he was just as radical. Bandana, afro. Uh, came up, he said, hey man, where are you at? That was another one of the deals. Where are you at? I said, did you hear what we have to say? He said, yeah, man. He said, the only way you're going to change this world is kick the crap out of it. Except he used the other word, which I don't feel free to use right here in the sanctuary. <laughs> and I said to him, it was like a word from God. I said, hey, man. Has it ever crossed your mind that you can restack the crap politically, redistribute the wealth amongst the crap. And at the end of it, all you've got is the same raw material. Crap. <laughs> but I was using his word. And do you know what he said? He said, hey man, that's heavy. <laughs> heavy. What was he saying? It was significant. It's almost like we're going through that conversation again with a lot of the drama in the political scene. And I say, well, what we're talking about is a Jesus who can come into your life and change you from the inside, change the crap to something different and special. So he said, hey, man, he said, I'll tell you what. I remember this conversation like yesterday. He said, hey, man, he said, I'll tell you what. We'll kick the crap out of it and you can put it back together again. But heavy... That's heavy. That's Jesus. He is. He is not a lightweight. He is heavy. And the word glory, kavoth, 
in its original language means exactly that. This is of significance. This is a big deal. This is substantial. This is heavy. So here is Jesus toward the end of his life. And this is John chapter 17. At the Last Supper, he starts to pray. Listen to what he prays. Jesus said this as he looked toward heaven and prayed and said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. The time has come. What time is that? The moment for which Jesus was born into the world was named Jesus, which means Savior. The time that brought him through his life of miracles and teaching to a cross, to be executed in a bloody, painful, unbelievable, tormenting way to die. Impaled, nailed there, can't move, can't breathe. Nails driven through nerve centers in the base of your hand. Can you imagine the first strike of a nail down through the hand? Those who were crucified screamed out in agony. Wow. Then the other hand, and their feet would come up like, and they'd drag down the feet, kneel on the shins, and drive a spike through the feet. And then haul that crossbeam up, drop it in a hole in the ground, and wedge it there. And you hang there to die. Disgusting. You're naked. Disgraceful. Helpless. Discarded. Ridiculed. Mocked even by those dying with you. How do you take that and make that glorious? Because that's the time that has come, a moment in time. The time has come, he's saying to his father, and sure enough, within 24 hours, he was on the cross. The time has come. Glorify me. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. To add significance, weight, weightiness, consequence to what is disgusting, like a cast-off piece of refuse. All those who wanted him gone thought they had won. But God Almighty has made the cross powerful, glorious. We wear it on gold. My wife's got a beautiful Jerusalem cross given to it by a friend who visited there, bought it for his wife. When his wife died, he gave it to my wife. Gold, beautiful. There's a hymn that I love. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand, the shadow of a mighty rock within a barren land, a home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way from the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. I take, O cross, my dwelling in the shadow that is yours. To stand in the shadow of the cross, to stand there. I take, O cross, your shadow as my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of your face. Content to let the world go by, to know no gain nor loss. 
my only shame, my sinful self, my glory, my glory, all the cross. That's what it has become to us. Glory, heavy, significant, absolutely important to us. So that what the New Testament says is this, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus in us gives us the hope of glory. So what John says in his later epistle is this, when we see him, Jesus, when it's time to see Jesus, we shall be like him as he is. We will see him and be like him as he is, to have a resurrection body. And with Christ in our lives, between here and there, we are people of dignity. My presence, who I am, how I see myself, is in Jesus. Is that how you see yourself? We tend to shortchange ourselves. Devil gives us the lie that we're who we were back when. When Jesus comes into your life, he gives you his glory. That is his significance, his weightiness. That's who you are in Jesus. And you've got that hope of ultimate glory with a new resurrection body. I want to thank you all for praying for me, those of you who have and send cards. Some of you don't know, five weeks ago I was in a near disastrous wreck, destroyed the car. Injured my back, got a compression fracture in my spine and a multi-fractured rib. I'm thrilled to be back and amongst you. But let me tell you, through all the misery and pain of the recovery, and I was out of commission for about a month. Some of you know what back pain is. I'm thrilled to be up here standing. But there came a moment, the lowest moment of my time going through that, and I turned to Jesus. So I was in my bedroom, I was by myself, and I said, Lord, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For me to be in Christ is to have this other identity of who I am. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And I cried out to him. I actually shouted out loud by myself in my bedroom, depressed and dispirited and in pain. You are my strength, Lord Jesus. I am yours, and I can get through this with you. And that was the turning point in my own spirit, in my own life, to see myself in Christ. And I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. If you know and love Jesus, that's who you are. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it is an amazing thing to behold you, to behold you, to dwell upon you, to look at you, to see you, and to see you for who you are, and to surrender to you, and then experience you, and for you to transform me from the inside out. Oh Lord, for those moments, just like that moment Jesus prayed to you, give us that moment when we surrender to you, ask you to come in, forgive us, clean us up, refocus our vision, Give us a new life to live and help us to enjoy that life, a life of consequence, weighty, 
and significant. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.